0: Kirby's Eternals have to do with Apocalypse and Hickman's X Men? And has Apocalypse reached full swole in House of X number five? These questions on and more in Kraken Krakoa number eight, The Secret History of Apocalypse's Horseman. Hello and welcome to Kraken Krakoa number eight. This is the Comic Book Herald podcast where I, Dave Busing, founder and editor in chief of Comic Book Herald, am getting into all the things that I am most excited about in the pages of Jonathan Hickman written. House of X, and Powers of Ten. Welcome. If you like the show, what I'm doing here on comicbookherald.com, on the Kraken Krakoa series that you can find either on the Comic Book Herald channel on YouTube or, of course, over on the Best Comics Ever podcast, please consider liking and subscribing, whether that be to the CBH YouTube channel. I am oh so close to 1,000 subscribers, which would be an awesome milestone to hit, so please check that out, or, of course, if you can subscribe to the pod. Over on Best Comics Ever, that would be greatly appreciated and help me continue doing the work I'm doing here on Comic Book Herald as well. Also, let me say today we're gonna get into the secret history of Apocalypse's horsemen. There have been a lot of teases about the first horseman of Apocalypse. I'm gonna talk about what are these teases, what has been the role of Apocalypse and House of X and Powers of Ten thus far, what is the history and the prehistory of Of the Horsemen of Apocalypse, and why is that going to matter going into Dawn of X? I'm also then going to get into stick around to the end for the wildest conjecture, the wildest theory that I've posed, that I've posited here in Crack and Krakoa to date. I'm going to tell you how House of X and Powers of Ten are going to connect to the MCU. Eternals movie to come. Okay. It's definitely my most irresponsibly, dare I say, genius theory that I've done in a crack and crocovid and pod so far. But in the meantime, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for everyone who supported CompuCherald.com and um, over on Patreon.com slash Herald funding and making videos and podcasts possible. Let's get into it. So in the pages of House of X and Powers of 10, I think we can pretty unquestionably all see. And again, if you haven't read House of X and Powers of Ten yet and you're worried about spoilers, go on and do so. I'm posting this video after House of X number five has been released. So that is the most recent issue that uh, that I have any knowledge of and we'll be talking about in a little bit of detail here. Pages of House of X and Powers 10. Apocalypse has had an important role. He has a quote leading up of course one of the issues of powers of 10 i believe it's number three we also see in house of x number two the issue that details the lives of myra x we see in her ninth life that she turns to apocalypse okay and this is pretty important we've seen a lot of details of this play out actually in the pages of powers of 10 so we've already seen myra mctaggart in her efforts to essentially save mutant kind turn to apocalypse now we saw this sort of go awry this is myra's ninth life and here let's just get in nice and clear on the video here the images um we saw in powers of 10 number three i believe Apocalypse vs. Nimrod, an epic battle as the Apocalypse and his four horsemen and and Myra X all sort of made their last gasp to grab some knowledge that Myra can now take to her 10th life, which is what we understand to be the ongoing House of X timeline. Now, we've also gotten some new learnings of Apocalypse's role in the pages of House of X number five. This was the story. Detailed during uh, Doug Ramsey's time translating Krakoa here on the island with Professor X, that there's actually a lot more to the history of Krakoa than ever known before, right? It's a bit of a retcon in the hands of of Hickman here. Um, He says that actually there was Okara. The one land. It was ancient before the world the, that word existed and not yet old in the way that they were old. The twilight sword of the enemy tore the world asunder and what was one became two. So, Okara, this one land, becomes Arako and Krakoa. Okay? Twilight sword. We're going to talk about this in a little bit of detail. Uh, actually, I'm probably not going to go too deep on this in just this one. There's a couple connotations here that come into play with the twilight sword. The first is the Twilight Sword frequently is a weapon of Surtur that he uses in the pages I think specifically I think of Walt Simonson run on Thor in the 1980s, which is absolutely must-read material. So there's a chance, and again, fiery red imagery here, there's a, a possibility that this is a reference to Surtur. There's also, you know, sort of demons and, and beasts coming from beyond the chasm. Whatever wicked place they came from, it says here, the enemy poured into the world. There's a chance this is Surtur-related, okay? There's also a chance, given where Marvel's at in current continuity, and you can check out my my Donny Cates Marvel Universe video and material I put over on Compa Carol to get a little more background on this, there's a chance this is null. Uh, The the god of the symbiotes and that this is all black, the necrosword, which is a a mystical um, device, weaponry that has been created in the pages of Jason Aaron's Thor run that Donnie Cates has taken and and really run with in the pages of Venom. And the reason I think that it could be referenced to that is just the coloring, really, is it's black. In red, it looks. This looks like a page out of Stegman and and uh, Kate's Venom. So there's a possibility that this will connect to Null rather than Surtur. That said, the Twilight Sword is a very specific terminology to reference, and Surtur is the most well known character who typically wields it. Now, what we learned throughout the rest of the issue is Apocalypse and his first horsemen are the ones who fend off these this uh, invasion of evil, essentially. It says here, if not for the man who was not a man, the first mutant, the warrior god in blue, the world would have fallen. Using all his mighty powers, he stood in the gap, pushed Arako through the chasm, set his four to sentinel that land, and sealed the chasm shut, never to be opened again. So in House of X number five, we get the information that we've been missing to this point, which is what happened to the first Horseman of Apocalypse. There have been some teases that I'm going to talk about here. What we learn here is they venture in to the chasm of Araco to keep uh, evil at bay, essentially. And there's some really choice language here that is um, choice both in the terms of awesome and selective. He stood in the gap. This is something that is a reference very specifically to uh, a sort of a motto Jonathan Hickman used in his series with Dustin Weaver in S.H.I.E.L.D., Which is a series they wrote from 2010, technically to 2018, because it took them forever to finish the last two issues. Um, But the the agents of Shield, the leaders of Shield, essentially are very, very powerful, intelligent, um, you know, like visionary individuals. And what they say is they stood in the gap, right? This is not the way the world ends. And they have Apocalypse here as an agent of Shield doing exactly that, which is something, actually. There is some history backing up that this is not just a retcon. This is actually something that has been teased before, believe it or not. So, okay, that is, the, you know, the most specific way that Apocalypse has played a role so far in S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, or so far in House of X and Powers of Ten, and then finally, we get in House of X, number five, Apocalypse comes on home. To Krakoa, to House of X, there's the big reveal in House of X number five that Professor X and Magneto are planning to welcome all of the formerly labeled villains of the X-Men universe into Krakoa, saying that all of mutant kind is one. Basically, if you're willing to just follow basic bylaws of Krakoa, you are welcome if you are a mutant. This is inclusive of Apocalypse, who uh, is very familiar with Krakoa. As we just learned. So it's a big moment. And obviously he's going to have a role to play. Now not only is Apocalypse going to have a role to play. But his first horsemen. Are going to be essential. Now why do I think this? Why do I know this? Well they've been teased. Uh, more so than just about anything throughout the pages of House of X and Powers of Ten. Here we have a segment from Marvel Comics 1000. This is a single page that Jonathan Hickman and Dustin Weaver teamed up on. Again, that S.H.I.E.L.D. team that I just mentioned. And again, it's only a page, but it's teasing that Apocalypse, yeah, he's had a lot of horsemen, and we're going to talk about some of them. He's had many deaths, many wars, many famines. They're all poor replacements for those who came first, he says. So there's the the clear, clear suggestion that the original horsemen of Apocalypse were the strongest by far, and he's actually kind of been playing maybe with one hand behind his back all this time with all of the other horsemen he's been utilizing. We also get a similar tease in the pages of Powers of 10, number 4, Sinister Secret, number 8, here in the Red Diamond Gossip Mag of the absolutely amazing Mr. Sinister, He says, of course, that the fittest of all mutants has routinely surrounded himself with a particularly numbered entourage. This, of course, referencing the four horsemen. And what he's saying is most people don't know if the original members returned, these pretenders will be dropped so fast their heads would spin. So we're all sort of awaiting the return of the first horseman. Now, one thing that I had completely forgotten until I was digging into this is actually we've seen technically... Reference to the return of the first horseman of Apocalypse, it's in Myra's ninth life. Now, we don't actually necessarily see this in the pages of Powers of Ten, but we see it in the timeline annotations. Okay? In Myra's ninth life, again, she joins with Apocalypse in efforts to protect mutant kind. And in year 24 here, there's a reference to Myra and Apocalypse rescue the first horseman. And intriguingly, it says, and return to Earth. Meaning, as we kind of learn in House of X number five, Araco. And and the story of Krakoa, it means that this chasm where the villainous entries entrance were you know shut off, and where the horsemen went to hold the gap, um, it's not on Earth. Okay, it's another dimension, or it's another portal, or it's out in space, or something sort of cosmic. Which again, I think would tie to either Searcher or Null. Uh, that's where the horsemen actually reside. But in the Ninth Life, they have the knowledge of how to rescue the horsemen. It's already been done they've done it once myra brings this knowledge to her 10th life as far as we understand and of course here in house of x number five we get apocalypse as we should now know from all of the detail i just laid out with a lot of familiarity of krakoa as he says krakoa knows me and i krakoa i fought a war here before the world had any idea there was such a thing as mutants so all of that tells us the first horseman the first mutants are going, or excuse me, the first horsemen of Apocalypse are going to play a role either through the very end here of House of X and Powers of Ten, or I think more likely into Dawn of X. Now, why does this matter, right? Apocalypse has always had horsemen, um, you know, what What makes these first horsemen kind of special? And I think to, to understand the role that they might play, I really wanted to look at the history of of Apocalypse's Horsemen to get a sense of how he's utilized them in the past. Now, the actual debut of Apocalypse in in the late 1980s with Louis Simonson and Walt Simonson on uh, X-Factor, he debuts and he takes on the original X-Men, again, at this time, going under the guise of X-Factor. And when he does so, he has famine, war, pestilence, and ultimately, the big reveal his Angel of Death, Archangel, right? So at this time, he's not necessarily using known characters. He's taking individuals we didn't know. The most biggest reveal is that at post-Mutant Massacre, Angel Warren Worthington had had his wings tarnished. Uh, Apocalypse promises him, you know, I will renew you. I will restore your wings, but you will have to become my Angel of Death. And that's exactly what he does. So that's the biggest, you know, introduction and the biggest character to be a horseman, and of course here they are referencing yes, the first the horseman of apocalypse. This is a reference to Revelations in Simonson's quote here, and they were given power to kill with sword and famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Right, so they go out to do apocalypse's bidding, which in this case is really just lots of murderous mayhem in an effort to call the weak. To ensure the strongest, the fittest survive. And what this frequently means is the fittest of mutant kind, right? He is looking for a, a enhancing the, the rate of evolution, essentially, and making sure that strong mutants survive. One big thing we learned, though, in the pages of these original First Horsemen, which I believe debut in around 1986, um, is that Apocalypse is eternal, right? He tells the original X-Men... A history lesson, essentially, that he has had many names over time, and that he has been worshipped as a god, as Set in Egypt, as Sorrow in Persia, and many, many more. What this tells us is, Apocalypse has been around for for centuries and centuries, for millennia, actually. And what we learn later is that in the Rise of Apocalypse, a four-issue miniseries written in 1996 that details his origins, he actually predates about 5,000 years. Um, to close to like 3000 BC in ancient Egypt is where Apocalypse was actually born and, and you know, becomes uh, or develops into a mutant for the first time. Here we have in the pages of the 12, he tells Nate Gray, I am the first of Earth's mutants. I intend to be the last, right? So he is often credited, and this may or may not prove to be true, as the very first mutant. And what this means is those horsemen that we see in X-Factor are not necessarily his actual first horsemen that we've seen in Marvel history. Obviously, now we've teased. Okay, there's this secret first horsemen that are developing in the pages of House of X and Powers of Ten. But there have actually been, you know, different horsemen throughout the eons. For example, in Apocalypse vs. Dracula, he there's a reference to his war he's building, uh, literally uh, war of the horsemen as he takes on Dracula in you know in medieval times. Uh, there's also in the pages of Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, the origin of Mr. Sinister. We see Apocalypse come to the scene in the 1800s, which is something I talked about a little bit in the Mr. Sinister video. The Probably the writer to play with this idea the most that Apocalypse has this long history throughout the entirety of mankind is Rick Remender in both um, Uncanny X-Force and uh, Uncanny Avengers. Here we have a scene of the four horsemen of Apocalypse that Remender and I believe Jerome Pena, apologies if I got the artist wrong there, created in the pages of Uncanny Avengers number 6. This is a, a plot that um, Apocalypse goes on to actually kill the ancestors of uh, of Logan in medieval times. I believe it's about 11th century I'm going to guess. And these, uh, these horsemen don't really have a super long run because they are killed by Thor uh, really within like a page. And uh, he uses the enchanted yarnborn axe and Apocalypse uh, he doesn't happen. He isn't happy, and he turns on Arama Tut, who he's working with at the time. It's a whole timey-wimey thing. Um, Uncanny Avengers is really awesome. Highly recommend it, uh, as is the entire Remender run Uncanny X-Force through Uncanny Avengers. Plays with a lot of this fun Apocalypse and Horseman stuff. We'll talk about that in a little bit of detail as I continue as well. Okay, so that's kind of the history of the Horseman of apocalypse they there have been examples throughout time but as i sort of just referenced there you know in the 11th century those medieval horsemen they are mowed down by thor with an axe so clearly they are not as powerful as apocalypse needed to to carry out his will we also really sense that time i really everything post 1986 every iteration of the horsemen is is some variation on like mutants or heroes that we already know um, to a degree, and they're all ultimately sort of feeble. You know, it's kind of like dwindling, dwindling power sets. They a lot of times it's like it's kind of interesting. You know, I've got up here the Age of Apocalypse horsemen that I really love: Mister Sinister, Abyss, Mikhail Rasputin, and uh, Apocalypse's son, Genocide. But ultimately, it's just like he's he's transforming people into his horsemen using celestial technology, which we'll talk about. Um, but, you know, here he's got Deathbird and Caliban and, and Remy LeBue is his death. Or no, that's not. That's later. Um, but this is in the 12. Okay. And then in Blood of Apocalypse, he's got Remy LeBue. Gambit is his death. And it's like at that point, you know, I feel like that's the jump the shark moment for the horseman where it's like, all right, you've run out of ideas, Apocalypse. You know, you've got, you got Gambit as your death. That's not super interesting. Um, so that's Blood of Apocalypse. I think it's X-Men ooh, 182 to 187, I'm going to say. He also turns Polaris into his pestilence, okay? And so, again, like, a lot of times it's just turning X-Men into horsemen, and it's not super successful, right? Like, they aren't great horsemen. Also, they have ties to the X-Men, so they're inherently, you know, there's a part of them that wants to fight back against Apocalypse, and, you know, Wolverine's been a horseman at one point in time. Hulk's actually been turned into a horseman. I think it's, ooh, Incredible Hulk number 456, I want to say. My favorite version... Of the horsemen tends to be examples that are not pulling from the X-Men. So especially in Reminder's Uncanny X-Force, we have the final horsemen. And these this is a really cool idea that that suggests that Apocalypse set the stage basically. If all his plans and all his his plotting was foiled, he would plan over time for a final selection of horsemen who could ultimately save him. And these horsemen are pulled from like the the history of mankind so there's uh you know a drummer here is pulled from the civil war confederacy in america but then there's characters that are pulled from like 11th century um and 15th century so they're pulled throughout time sort of kept in stasis until they're needed and these horsemen are absolutely awesome you can see here like pestilence is um, a geisha from from Japan, and there's you know some some involvement there that is going to matter with with Archangel as well. If you read, um, if you read Uncanny X Force, but you know, Archangel, I've got up here is probably like he's the most well known Horseman. Certainly over time, Apocalypse frequently references him as kind of his favorite. You know, his Angel of Death. But even then, even then, that's like the modern context, right? These are the modern Horsemen. And all of them kind of pale in comparison and ultimately lose to, you know, the X-Men. So they, they are not as powerful as he has needed over time here in Uncanny Avengers. Again, we've got a reference to the time Sunfire became... Uh, a horseman. He, in his case, it was like he lost the use of his legs. Um, there was an interesting development also in Uncanny Avengers written by Remender with the Apocalypse Twins with Apocalypse kind of out of the picture where they just straight up went for four horsemen of death. So they said, listen, war, famine, pestilence, all kind of lame. We're going to re... What's the word? Resurrect. Some, uh, you know, former Marvel players here, the Grim Reaper, Banshee, Decan and Sentry As our four horsemen of death. So there have been a lot of modern iterations. There's also in Powers of Ten a future iteration of Magneto, Zorn, Wolverine, and uh, some hybrid here that is, I believe, like the continuing living embodiment of Krakoa. I'd have to look that up. Um, But he's always got his horsemen when he's got his plans. Okay. What that tells me is, Dawn of X, it's going to matter when these first horsemen come back because they're going to sort of restore Apocalypse to his full powers you know again like I said it seems like based on the implication that these first horsemen were much more powerful than all of those additional horsemen I just mentioned and I didn't even cover absolutely all of them you know that was a lot but that wasn't all of them that he's going to all of a sudden be at full power again okay I think that's interesting I think that's going to matter I also think and this is where the crazy theory comes in, that it would be very easy to connect Apocalypse to the Eternals movie to come. And specifically, to just start bringing in Eternals and Celestials uh, from Jack Kirby's, you know, began in 1976, Eternal series. Now, why do I think this might happen? It's a couple reasons. First, there is no character in Marvel Comics as popular as Apocalypse with ties to the Eternals. Really, Apocalypse has ties to the Celestials. By transitive property, that means he has ties to the Eternals, right? The, so the Eternal Saga, in brief, is the Celestials, the space gods. They came to Earth, and they created three races of, of life on Earth. They created the Eternals, these sort of mortal, powerful beings. They created humans. That's us. And they created the Deviants, who are sort of monstrous and always changing, and none of them look alike, okay? Okay. Apocalypse wields celestial technology. In The Rise of Apocalypse, with his father, Baal, he discovers in a cavern in the Egyptian temples some celestial technology that helps him advance and take down the pharaoh at the time, Ramatut. He also finds a celestial ship, which he travels in when the X-Men first meet him in X-Factor. That is what he's using. Um, And he has, of course, over time used celestial technology. Here we have an example of a celestial ship from the pages of the Eternals by Jack Kirby. Uh, And, you know, you can see the similarities, I think, between that and the ship Apocalypse would use, which when X-Factor took over, uh, they just called SHIP, but with a capital S. Great naming. Celestials have been visiting Earth as longer than Apocalypse has been around even, right? So Apocalypse is eternal. He's been with Earth for really, you know, as far as like recorded history, um, the Celestials have been around even longer than that. We see the first host, according to Jack Kirby, came uh, you know with our common ancestor from the you know the time of evolution from apes. The second host came during um, during like the sinking of Lemuria, and basically coming they come and they kind of judge mankind for what they'll be. The third host actually comes, I believe, closer to like the 11th century. And one in, there's a few interesting elements here of how apocalypse i think could very closely tie to uh the celestials and eternals and sort of start bringing in those concepts and ideas to shape the future of the mcu now jonathan hickman in interviews has said i think comics should be leading what the mcu is going to do rather than comics responding to the mcu now i love i love the audacity of this i love the implication that comics should lead the way and it's also true i think in hickman's experience just through writing really good comics for example, in the pages of Infinity, his Black Order became a really big element in Avengers: Infinity War, Endgame, and you know even like transmedia, like um, like Ultimate Alliance Three, the Black Order. So, I think with that with that sort of mindset, Hickman's Dawn of X can be building Apocalypse and these first Horsemen and integrating them into Celestial and Eternal ideas in order to make this movie more successful, in order to make it more interesting. Now, one concept from Kirby's Eternals that I think has already been used very successfully by Rick Remender is the idea of life seeds and death seeds. This is or this is Celestial Technology, which Apocalypse uses. He uses death seeds, for example, to transform Angel into Archangel. In the pages of Uncanny X-Force, the crew here tries to gather life seeds in order to save Archangel. But all of this, you know, this is not a Remender creation. All of this is referenced with Celestials back in the pages of Eternals. Here's a scene from Eternals number seven with the space gods, and you see Kirby writing here that Gamenon, the Gatherer, returns with his Rod of Life seed capsules, which Jamiah, the analyzer, receives for study. So the use of Celestials, the use of Celestial technology is something that is, is very integrated into the Eternals ongoing that Kirby created. Now, I also think in X-Men and House of X, We've seen Professor X and Magneto turn to basically, you know, this is the timeline where Myra and Professor say we're going to break all the rules, right? Nothing else has worked. Myra has tried everything seemingly through her nine lives. In the 10th life, she says we're going to break all the rules. So in Powers of X or Powers of Ten, number four, they go to Mr. Sinister. They go to Bar Sinister and they say, listen, Sinister... We need your help. Hijinks ensue, but ultimately what they're saying is we are willing to cross some barriers. We are willing to work with some villains in order to make sh- to ensure the safety of the future of mutant kind. Why would that not extend to Apocalypse's celestial technology? I think it absolutely could, right? We've seen him use this time and time again. It's what he uses to turn Nathaniel Essex into Mr. Sinister. It's what he's using here on screen to turn Polaris into his pestilence. In the past there would have been a lot of resistance to allowing apocalypse to have his way using celestial technology to advance mutant kind now i'm not so sure this sounds like the sort of thing that professor x and crew would actually very much embrace in order to protect and advance mutant kind so i think if you can integrate apocalypse's celestial technology Into the development of House of X, you suddenly have tie-ins to Celestials and Eternals in ways that would be the most interesting the Eternals have ever been, right? This is a franchise that has struggled, I think, and then some. The original ongoing by Kirby pales in comparison to his fourth world. These characters have not stood the test of time particularly well. Those who have, you know, hung around, like Cersei in in the Avengers... That's 90s Avengers that not a lot of people talk about, you know, there are fans, of course, but there are very, very low profile characters, lower even than Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think is frequently referenced as, you know, the MCU franchise that, oh, the MCU can do anything. They turned the Guardians of the Galaxy into the stars. Well, the Guardians had a really good run from 2008 to 2010 by Dan Abnett, uh, Andy Lanning, and Paul Pelletier, Right. The Eternals have not had that. They have a Neil Gaiman run from the mid-2000s, and yeah, Gaiman's amazing and a superstar, but the run isn't that good, and those characters have not really hung around beyond that. So there's a lot of opportunity here to develop them. I think connect them to Apocalypse, connect that to House of X, into Dawn of X, you've got yourself a a platter of, of opportunity to advance the Eternals' cause prior to their launch in the MCU. Now, I do also want to mention here, you know, in the terms of, like, using celestial technology and embracing that way back in that X-Factor number 24 I referenced in the beginning, Apocalypse says to the X-Men, oh, you will join me in time. That you must not doubt. And this has not been true until now. Now, in 2019, Apocalypse Eternal was right, which I think is awesome. Okay, a couple final references here in terms of how wild is this theory it would not be the first time that writer Jonathan Hickman referenced the Celestials. He uses them in S.H.I.E.L.D., that series I mentioned before, uh, quite frequently, actually. He seems to have some affection and affinity towards the Celestials, these space gods. Here he's got a pregnant Celestial woman, becomes a major player in the pages of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is kind of fascinating. So I don't think it's completely unlikely that they could have a role here as well. Now, there's also... Some more inherent connections just through Marvel, you know, kind of like sneaky back issue history in Black Knight Exodus, a 1996 one-shot. This is a panel uh, featuring Cersei of the Eternals, Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, who's going to be in the Eternals movie, and Apocalypse, who they run into way back when. So these characters have all actually interacted and had connections in the past in the pages of Black Knight Exodus. It would not be the first time. It would not be the craziest thing in the world if in the MCU Eternals, Apocalypse made a debut and connected all of the sudden the Eternals and sort of their lifeline to the X-Men. All right, there you have it. That was the the <laughs> history of Apocalypse's horsemen, what I think the first horsemen are going to be doing in the pages of of. Dawn of X moving forward and how that history is built to this point as well as my half half uh, you know half baked Eternals theory so what do you think do you think there's any chance that the Eternals and Celestials play a role in Apocalypse's role in House of X and Powers 10 what do you think of the first horsemen who are they going to be and and what's their role going to be I think one of them looks a lot like uh, Fire Lord Herald of Galactus is it actually going to be a connection or is it going to be a new character is it just going to be Hickman's east of west uh, apocalyptic creations crossing over with House of X and Powers of Ten. I actually would be really game for that, even though there's no chance. That'd be pretty fun as well. So thanks for listening, everybody. Again, I'm Dave, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. This has been Kraken Krakoa number eight. You can find the entire series listed over on ComicBookHerald.com. Go to my House of X, Powers of Ten reading order. You can find all sorts of guides to comics and getting into comics, including X-Men and House of X there as well. Again, if you like the show, please consider liking and subscribing. Please subscribe to the podcast, Best Comics Ever, and as always, just go on over to comicbookcarol.com to check out more content. So, thanks everybody for listening, and as always, enjoy the comics. (laughs)